In this episode, I talk to the uniquely talented balloon artist, author, musician and philosophy lecturer Adi Somek about love, life, laughter and balloons. The music that you hear in this episode is courtesy of Adi's band, Unpoppable, and features the distinct sweet sound of the balloon bass. Enjoy as we look at life through a different lens. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Perception Podcast with me, your host, Caroline Partridge. And today I am talking to the incredible Adi Somek. And um, Adi describes... Hello. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Adi. Before I, <laughs> before I launch, into, uh, to launch into a description of you, I'll just uh, get a little hello there. But um, so... Adi Somek began twisting balloons in 1991 as a random summer job when he was in college and soon realised he had a talent in improvising custom-made headdresses that had an uncanny ability to reflect the wearer's personality. In the mid-90s, Adi's balloon hats took him around the world as he travelled to 35 countries with photographer Charlie Eckert, making hats for people for free and photographing them in a kind of rolling investigation into the universal nature of laughter. Their travels resulted in the books The Inflatable Crown, 2001, published by Chronicle Books, and Inflatable Planet, 2022, by Goff Books. In 2011, Addy starred in the TLC reality show The Unpoppables, which followed his LA-based company, New Balloon Art. His 2018 TEDx talk is entitled Balloon Art and the Mysterious Nature of Joy. His most recent obsession is playing the balloon bass, a musical instrument made entirely of latex balloons and air, and sounds just like a funky upright bass. And his trio, Unpoppable, specialises in blowing minds and shaking hips. Addy's current side hustle is as an instructor of critical thinking at the University of California, Santa Cruz. Wow. Hello. Wow. What a, I think that probably is the most unusual introduction that uh, uh, that anybody has had so far. Yeah. And, and the weird thing is, is that it's normal for me because it, balloons are really the only thing I was ever good at. So yeah. it, it is very normal for me. Uh, you know, just in a kind of in my own thoughts, but I, I can see well, when you look outside of it, that it's quite um, strange. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have to say when we first met, which was in 2018 in Pasadena, um, uh, and it was quite an unusual meeting, which is another episode in itself. But um, when you told me that you were a balloon artist, I think that's how you what you called yourself, a balloon artist. I my perception of that was just, oh yeah, we have those in England, little kind of squeaky little dog things. And then and then when you kind of told me what your work actually involved and you'd been doing it for like 25 years or whatever, you know, that, that really blew my mind. So um, can you talk a little bit more? C can you explain first of all, how you started? What, what, how, when did this start? And when did you realize, I know you said here you were at college, but. but right. So I was, um, I was, I believe it was right as I was turning from 18 to 19, I was in love with a woman who, well, one, she was in love with another guy, which complicated things, but but a million times worse than that, she had a tumor in her face and she needed to have uh, this surgery to, you know, kind of extract this tumor, which was basically the size of a baseball in her face. And I'm in love with her and we're, you know, so young. And um, so anyway, I was crying all the time, literally crying because I wasn't able to help her because she was with this other guy. The whole thing was totally bizarre. And and so anyway, I'm crying in bed all summer. I'm living with my parents that summer. And my dad thought I was just smoking pot and being lazy. So <laughs> he literally came in my room one day and he said, you have to go pay for your own car insurance as a way just to get me out of the house. Yeah. yeah. At this point, it's already halfway through the summer. So all the like regular summer jobs are taken. And literally the only job I could find was twisting balloons at restaurants on tips. And... I never had any artistic talent at all as a kid. I yeah. tried guitar, uh, ceramics, uh, photography. Like it was clear that I 
didn't have that special something that would make me great. And that, that hurt my ego. So um, I just was like, I'm not an artist, but balloons aren't really an art. It's just a dumb job. I'm I'm just going to do it. So um, I started, I started learning, teaching myself how to twist balloons that summer through the sadness. I was crying and twisting at the same time. And I realized later, many years later, that it was kind of like the way, you know, people start playing the blues is that they feel horrible about whatever and they take it out through their Mm -hmm. instrument. And Mm -hmm. so instead of playing guitar, I started twisting balloons. Now, as a kid, because I wanted to be a musician so badly and I really looked up to jazz musicians, I just read all sorts of biographies about John Coltrane and Louis Armstrong. And I was fascinated with the concept of improvisation and making things up spontaneously. And I just thought that as like, you know, real magic in a secular world and, mm-hmm. and very practical, you know, because it's so instantaneous, but it connects people together and and not just musicians, but reporters and, emerge, you know, uh, paramedics. I mean, all these people have to improvise constantly in their job. And I was fascinated by that. So basically, when I started twisting balloons, I realized, OK, I'm making money. But if I'm making the same dog over and over again, I'm going to be totally bored. So I just basically transferred the philosophy of improvisation from jazz music into balloons, which is variations on a theme. So you basically learn the building blocks. And then within the kind of parameters of those building blocks, there's an unlimited basically infinite amount of variation where you can put those building blocks in different combinations. And that's where the spontaneity and improvisation comes in. So I would, I realized as I'm working and I'm only there to make money that if I make a balloon hat for someone, I get a much bigger tip because a dog is a small, cute thing that like you said, Mm -hmm. everyone's seen, but if you make someone a balloon hat, all of a sudden they're two or three feet taller uh, or a meter taller. And um, also, you know, it's everyone's looking at them. It literally cha- transforms their status in the yeah. room. Yeah. And I would make much bigger tips. Plus, with balloon hats, I was able to improvise. Whereas in every dog was the same, every hat could be made different to match each person's personality. Yeah. The clothes they're wearing. If the guy has a weird mustache, I could kind of mimic the shape of the mustache and <laughs> the hat, you know, things like that. So it was very um improvisational and that's when i i realized okay i actually don't suck at something for the first time in my life i felt like i was actually i had a, the wind in my back because i i wasn't it just came, it kind of came to me problem was i was very much a self-hating balloon guy because i just thought this is the lamest thing in the world like my parents were embarrassed my friends made fun of me and i didn't like being around you know spoiled entitled kids or you know stressed out moms yeah 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 yeah. and 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 the emasculated fathers that's what terrified me the most because i was like oh no am i gonna be one of those one day and so i i didn't really like the job you know i but at the same time i liked the ability to make people happy to make something with my hands that could create like legitimate joy Mm. so i was very conflicted and the only reason i kept doing it was I was getting paid. And so, you know, I never thought I'd be a balloon guy for 31 years. I literally thought it'd be three months. Mm, mm. It's, it's so interesting because what, what, what you're saying there and what, when you talked about people really loving the fact that you, that, well, you got bigger tips because when you made hats, it's that thing, isn't it? Of people's, we, we, our behavior is affected by other people's perception of us. And mm-hmm. so when people see you in something that really, because these hats are incredible. I mean, your your photographs, as, as we've spoken about earlier, your photographs of, of, of some of these hats that you've made of people all around the world. There's one particular photograph, which I just recently looked at, of the people which are on your cover of Un- Unpoppable Planets. Oh, Inflatable um, Planet. Inf- sorry, Inflatable. Inf- Inflatable Planet. Um, they, I've re- I God, I nearly burst into tears. They're so, the, the, the two beautiful statuesque 
people standing on tribes people from Kenya standing on that road in these incredible hats there was just so much dignity and so much beauty and they were so when you call them crowns you know when you said you make these balloon crowns they really they really looked regal they looked like they were wearing crowns and it's that incredible transformative effect that headdress has you know this the kind of I mean, I have seen lots of the photographs and you've made me a balloon hat. I was lucky enough to be one of the recipients of your balloon hats. And they just really make you feel good when you wear them. You know, they're making you feel good. And is there, do you think there is also a, another component? Um, because you, you know, you've talked about the, the kind of history behind headdress. Mm. And how has that influenced the development of the of your you know of making these hats? Yeah, so I think um, well for, for one thing, and it, it makes a little bit more sense when people see the pictures of this. Mm. So if you go to inflatableplanet.com, you can see the pictures, and it, the context will make more sense. But you know, I really tried hard to make uh, a balloon hat that someone would say yes. That's me. I want to wear that. Mm. Not some kind of awkward obligation, but something where someone actually had enthusiasm because I was able to capture their personality somehow in this balloon sculpture. And basically, I, I'm very um, I didn't realize this until years later, but I'm very sensitive to people's auras. Mm. And I, when I see people, I literally see colors and shapes coming out of them. And then it's just a technical thing with the balloons to try to replicate those colors and shapes that I, I get like an intuitive flash. And then I wow. just try not to question that flash. I just try to make it happen with the colors I have. And, and, and I should mention the only balloons when I did the project with Charlie, the photographer, and really when I make balloon hats in general, I only use the skinny balloons that you see people twisting into animals. Mm -hmm. I, I don't use any round balloons. So it's it's very kind of angular and linear, but it's also it's there's a lot of potential in it. So <clears throat> I think for one thing, people get excited to wear the hat because they see me working really hard. I inflate the balloons mm. with my mouth and there's some mm. sort of weird performance like oh, what's happening. <laughs> the other thing is that we would show up when we when I did the project with Charlie around the world, we'd show up randomly, spontaneously in like a village in India or Mongolia. Mm. So. Um, it there was a kind of unexpectedness that created a, a level of joy. And I would say the other thing is that balloons are so ephemeral um, and non-threatening. Now, some people mm. might not like the popping, right, which is understandable, but it's not like you could take a balloon and smash it over someone's head and steal their mm. wallet. Yeah. Or it's not like yeah. you could take a balloon hat and steal it and say, I'm going to sell this thing on eBay. Or on the yeah, black market, yeah, you know, I yeah. mean, everybody knows subconsciously that balloons are only here for a short amount of time. So it grounds you in the moment. So that's another kind yeah. of layer on top yeah. of all of it. So I would say the fact that I worked really hard to uh, um, be like to kind of authentically capture the person's personality is key, because if I was just you know, cranking out the same thing over and over again, it'd be a novelty, but it wouldn't have the emotional impact. Well, I, I have to say they certainly do have an emotional impact. But just, you know, looking at those photographs really is, you've really captured something and a, a, a sort of indefinable thing about that person. And um, it's interesting there also when you say, because I was thinking about this, you know, this sort of like tenuous juxtaposition between a really malleable material and then this this kind of wow at any moment it could just go pop bang gone yeah no this really and and I suppose that really does ground you in being in the present and in the moment and also I have to say it's a massive skill to be able to blow those balloons because you gave me one to try and I remember just going how the how the hell how the how does he do it because they're I mean, I've got quite good lungs. However, it's like, that was like, it, it was just, it made me laugh because I just, I can't even get any air into them whatsoever. Well, the lungs are important, but when you're blowing up a balloon, it's 
uh, a lot of it is in your lips okay. and that's a technique. Like when you whistle, yeah, yeah, it's, it's not your lungs that are making the sound. It's the way you're, you're oh. holding your lips. Like so the trumpet, you, like playing like the, the trumpet. trumpet. It's yeah. armature. Exactly. So that takes about three weeks to develop the, 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 or it took me three weeks to develop the lip muscles in order to inflate the balloon. Yeah, it's just like, it's amazing. It really is amazing because I, like I said, it's such a skill. It really is a skill and it's a skill. And and the whole thing that you've done, you created a company, the, the Unpoppables. Was that was that the name of your company or was that? Oh, the- my, my company was called New Balloon Art. New Balloon Art. Because, and, and I gave it that name in order to force myself to always come up with something new. That's fantastic. Uh, yeah. And and then eventually, you know, I would do these super big. Uh, eventually, I I did start incorporating round balloons and doing abstract decor. So the kind of basic improvisation that I would make mm. with the balloon hats, I just kind of made it much bigger in order to decorate like corporate events. Um, and, and and basically, I only worked with adults. Yeah. Like I, I just yeah. didn't really have the um, the temperament for the screaming that comes with children and um, or I guess you could say the intestinal fortitude. I just couldn't really handle it after yeah. a while. And so I realized also I'm here to make money. This is essentially my job. So yeah, I make yeah. a lot more money by making adults feel like kids as opposed to being stuck in the kid ghetto of, you know, balloon animals, which is there's nothing wrong with that. If, if that's no, the person's no, no, no. style, then all, yeah. you know, totally. Yeah. It's just not my speed yeah no of course i mean so so within the the tv series the reality show that you did did they i mean what were they trying to do with that were they trying to shift people's perception away from well balloon art is just you know we're just doing stuff for kids or this is some really amazing uh you know check this out everyone this is really amazing what they can what what can actually be done what can be created with balloons or was there an element of um it might be all of the above but was there also an element of uh a, a kind of a race against time as it were right so okay so it's basically all of the above because it was, we did the show about 10 years ago. And back then the shows that were popular were, uh, a gr- you have a group of people who have a goal mm. and there's competition and cooperation within the group and tension as they try to fulfill the goal. So it could be build a cake, build a motorcycle. In this case, it was build a giant balloon sculpture. And I had a team and, um, and so, yeah, we would butt heads creatively and there was sparks, but also we would come together and, make this thing. And so ultimately that type of television is essentially baby food for adults, mm. right? You've had mm. a long day. You want to come home. You want to turn your brain yeah. off with something that's yeah. stimulating, but not completely vapid. It needs to have some novelty and some excitement and, you know, interesting characters and it needs to be compelling. But at the yeah. same time, it can't be like, you know, super challenging. It's not a, a lecture in uh, philosophy. So it, it can't, really challenge people too much Mm -hmm. so that's the kind of sweet spot that you had to we had to find and we had to prove that a show about balloons was going to be compelling for adults that it wasn't a kid's show that sure kids would could watch it with adults but ultimately this had to resonate with adults for it to be successful Mm. and do you think that was and and was it successful in that in those terms yeah yeah i think it was yeah 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 Yeah, it really was and um and also um, you know, the, the thing with television is that it has to be real, but it also isn't real. And mm-hmm. that, that's a funny thing about perception is that it, it, the paradox is that art has to be like life, but it has to be unlike life at the same time. Right. Mm-hmm. If it's just regular life, you're bored. If it's not like life enough, then you can't relate to it. So it's a matter of just like when you take a shower and you dial in the hot water and the cold water until you find that sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Um, because either extreme is very unpleasant. But if you can dial in that sweet spot in a story where it's really like life, but completely not like life at the same time, that's when you really get people's 
what was the most what was the weirdest thing that you had to make? What was the biggest, the biggest or weirdest or smallest or, you know, what, what were you kind of. Oh, for the, the, for the television for the show? show? Yeah. For the show. Um, we had to build a castle that what? was, what? yeah, that, yeah. A castle that was, oh geez, at least 25 feet tall and big enough that you could drive a golf cart through it. We had to do it at a golf course for a fancy event it had to be huge and detailed. And there was like a, a you know, um, a life-size knight with armor. And there was a maiden up in the window upstairs. It was crazy. And um, the, the when we did it, it was a disaster because it just was one of the hottest days of the year that day. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. It, was almost a, it was almost 100 degrees. So the second <gasps> we started putting the balloons out there, they just started popping in the sun. Because if just, you know, on a technical balloon uh, tip, if you're indoors, you could do whatever you want, yeah. right? Because you're you, the environment is under control. But if it's outdoors and there's wind or rain or sun, mm-hmm. you know, you don't control anything anymore. So so that was I remember that being extraordinarily painful but we pulled that one off somehow miraculously and um and yeah it was a real test to uh, my you know our ability to stay sane i mean i think at one point i was awake for um over 50 hours because how many 50 50 yeah i didn't sleep for well over 2 days because there was just so much work to do that you know when you're doing it there had never been a balloon show before so nobody knew how to make it like we didn't they didn't even know how to light the balloons so there was just it was a very steep learning curve on how to make this show let alone actually doing it there's just <laughs> no there was no time to sleep so oh, so that was a, that was uh that was in a way you know they say um be careful for what you wish for Mm. you know might come mm. true yeah it was certainly yeah. a situation like that yeah yeah that's crazy are, th- are these episodes available to watch anywhere yeah they're on youtube yeah oh are they oh brilliant so yeah. we can put some yeah. links in the in the show yeah. notes yeah yeah that's fantastic if you just the show was called the unpoppables the unpoppables yeah and it so, was about 10 years ago you said yeah 10 years yeah ago, yeah. yeah that's so great because there's so like i said people's this is the thing because most people's perception when you when you talk when I said to people, hey, you know, when I went back and I said to people, oh, I I'd gone to the Huntington Gardens and I'd met this uh, you know balloon artist and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, what well, you know? And I said, no, <laughs> I was like, no, no, you you don't understand what this is, and um, and it's just like I said, it's just completely incredible the work that you do, um. And do you think- well, can I tell you why people part part of the reason people don't understand how amazing balloon art can be, and it really is getting more and more amazing yeah, since yeah. since the invention of YouTube. It's really spread all over the world because now ideas can, you know, uh, exponentialize. So now you have incredible balloon artists in Japan and Italy, and the Russians are insane, and the Chinese are taking over, and and every uh, country and culture has their own unique style. Yeah. And so, for instance, I'm Israeli and I realized that the Israeli balloon twisters are really about improvisation because it's yeah. just kind of like, yeah. you know, how we do. And But then when you look at the Japanese balloon twisters, they really work together as a team in yeah. a way that Westerners don't because yeah. we're so individually uh, minded. Yeah. But they really kind of sync up and and it, it's like beautiful to see that kind of organization so it's completely different styles but the reason that most people don't know about balloon art is because it's so ephemeral it's Mm. it's there's no famous balloon twisters because it's not like people can make a lot of money reselling balloon art no so (laughs) yeah the, the, the the very power of it the fact that it is ephemeral is what gives it its strength because it grounds you in the moment but it also makes it not a kind of viable business for the art industry because so you we don't get you know it's not like like graffiti art in a way is a lot like balloon twisting right it's colors and improvisation and it's interactive but you can paint uh you could do graffiti art on a canvas and sell it in a gallery Mm, 
Mm. You know, we uh, we don't really have that option. But it's interesting, though, isn't it? Because you just think, like, I think of, <laughs> I think of, like, Christmas as a child and Christmas decorations up. You know, in the seventies and the eighties, they used to kind of hang these kind of Christmas and always two lonely balloons pinned up in a corner, you know, or balloons in the corners. And I found it, and I always used to find it really depressing mm, after yeah. like a week when you yeah. see them slowly deflating and withering. Right. Into these kind of like withered sacks yeah. <laughs> that, that looked just really sort of like literally deflated, and um and it kind of and whenever I see that it kind of really it makes me laugh because of the association I have with it in terms of you know Christmas as a child and that slightly post Christmas that slightly sort of like uh, feeling, but um. But balloons have a, a similar life cycle to flowers or fruit yeah. in that there's yeah. a, a peak where they're radiant and amazing and then they slowly wither. And yeah, that, that yeah. withering can be sad, but you know. Um Yeah, but it's I, I, I personally like the ephemeral nature of it. I'm kind of terrified by things that stick around too long, which yeah. I guess might, yeah. might um inform but- my terror of long-term relationships. But- <laughs> <laughs> I think it's that thing though, isn't it? It's just like when you talk about the ephemeral nature of, of balloon art and the nature of anything, there is also real, there's a real, um, uh, I don't know if beauty is the right word, but there's a, there's a real intensity about things as they degrade. You know, there's a mm. real, there's a real, there's a, there's a, I suppose mystery. I don't know if that's the right word, but but there's but there's something that connects you still. There's a fascination as things slowly kind of disappear in front of your eyes. And I quite I I have to say I quite like that. I quite like the uh, noticing the change in things, and that in itself is art as well. You know that that is something that you can appreciate. I mean, it's not obviously the the balloon in its full bloom. Or full blown state, but um, it's something nevertheless, nevertheless, that is interesting. I think. But I think what you're you're uh, what you're noticing there or feeling there is a reflection of us as people, because essentially yeah. we are like balloons, right? We have a moment yeah. where we're inflating and we're at peak vibrancy, and then you know, our body starts decaying. Like I just turned 50 and I'm like, oh <laughs> shit, this is what people are talking about. All of a sudden I really like going to sleep at night. I look forward to it. You know, before I was like, no, sleep is like death. I want to be awake and alive as much as possible. Now, uh-huh. uh, you know, and, and so your body just changes and, yeah. you know, yeah. you know, and it's just, it, there's gravity. And yeah. just like, just like the, the oxygen molecules slowly leak out of the latex yeah, because that's yeah. how it deflates, right? Because yeah. that the, the the even though it's a solid, it's still porous enough that the air actually over time escapes, and you know mm. our air escapes out of our yeah um, exactly system. as we deflate. You yeah, know. our chi is what it is. It's our our yeah. life energy is. Um, you know, not a renewable resource. So I think that that slow, sad decay of the balloon, I'm, I'm happy that you look at it in as a beautiful thing, because yeah. I mean, essentially, it's if we're lucky, that's the fate we all get to look forward to. If we don't get hit by a truck when we're, <laughs> you know, young, you know, <laughs> well, get, getting like- old and decaying is actually a luxury or, or yeah. in a way, best case scenario. Yeah, no, it is. It's incredible. And when, um, it's interesting when you were just talking about getting old there, it made me also think of um, when I first met you and we went and we talked at length and you, and you know, you talked about being a young person um, and one of the people that you were most influenced by and that became a, a good friend of yours was the um, uh, artist and a professor, Mary Holmes. Yes. And, and, what I'd really like you, because I, I found it really beautiful when you talked about your your relationship and how her wisdom and her knowledge and her view of life and her perception altered mm. it, it. When you talked about her, it just was really apparent the, the massive impact that 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 had on your you and your perception of the world, and also maybe in terms of your perception of how you looked at at making things. 
in terms of your balloon art? Yeah, so it's really interesting because I met Mary when I was 18 and she was 80. Yeah. And I believe I met her maybe a month, maybe two months before I started twisting balloons. And I randomly went to a, a lecture that she was, uh, it was kind of a panel discussion that she was mm -hmm. a part of. And uh, I just went there randomly and as an 18 year old and I listened to this woman talk and I said, oh my God, I just started writing down everything she was saying because these ideas were blowing my mind. I'd never thought of them before. And I realized I'm going to forget them as soon as, uh, you know, as you know, I'm going to, unless I write them down, the, I, I need to hold on to these. It, it, it felt a lot like what I imagine seeing Jimi Hendrix at Woodstock was like, where it's like, oh, yeah. okay, everything's different now. Wow. Um, and so about a month or two later is when I got the job twisting balloons. Mm -hmm. And then I would just go hang out with Mary and just at, at this point, you know, speaking of air leaving balloons, her body started kind of giving her trouble when she was in her 80s. Um, mm -hmm. and, and she eventually died when she was 92. But we had 12 really great years where we would hang out and talk. And then we actually wound up writing a book together because mm -hmm. um, I would record all the conversations that we had and that turned into a book. And I would say as far as perception, one of the things I really got from Mary was being comfortable with mystery and paradox and not fighting against it. Mm -hmm. That is, I, I mentioned earlier, the woman I was in love with back then, I was and, and I was raised by a secular scientist. So, you know, logic and uh, like just reason where just, if it wasn't if it, it can't be measured, it doesn't really exist. That, that was kind of like the environment I grew up in. And when I fell in love with this woman, I was startled and discombobulated by how someone could create so much joy and misery mm. in me. You know, like I, I, it was a love hate relationship. It was ecstatic and it was like severe despair. And I just couldn't imagine how both these things existed. And when I would talk to Mary, I, I realized that paradox is actually kind of the operating system and the mystery of the world, both mm. that everything is a union of opposites, right? That uh, it's like the yin yang, like we are here because there was a sperm and an egg. and you can't have uh, a life without both those things. They're opposite, but coming together, they create this profound energy, which is a new mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. And I realized once you get your head around the thing that the idea that opposite things can exist and they can be actually complementary, and that the paradox might actually be not just a problem, but actually the solution. It yeah, really shifted yeah. the way I looked at everything in the world. So then, for instance, my balloon career, I was like, I'm really good at this. I really am embarrassed that I'm good at this. So that mm -hmm. was a paradox there. But I was mm -hmm. able to manage that paradox instead of just having it like beat the shit out of me, which is yeah. what it used to do. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, that, that whole thing, isn't it? It's like you don't know what light is without dark. You know, it's it's, it's and and you ha and, and it's that feeling you have to sometimes to, in order to know what happiness is, you have to know what feeling shit is, you know, to, to uh, so I completely understand what, what you're saying there. And, and it's easy to think that it's some sort of abstract, you know, um, unrealistic concept, mm. but really look at something as simple as telling the truth and lying, right? Mm. Nobody wants to be lied to, but nobody wants to hear the truth all the time either. If you go around mm. telling people the truth, it just means you're a rude, inconsiderate person. There's times. <laughs> well, where... hang on, Addy. Hang on. <laughs> I'm quite. I'm quite honest. I have to say, I do try and strut. I'm, I'm not, you know, tactfully truthful. But where, where? Yeah, well, there you yeah. go. So, but that's a variation on. Yeah. You're giving yourself a little bit of wiggle room there by yeah. saying tactfully, because there's times yeah. where it's like, okay, it's not tactful to be honest here. You yeah. know, yeah. it's not like okay. The classic example is, do you like my new haircut? Well, all of a sudden, I if I don't, am I gonna? I, my my wife would do this to me when I back when I was married. She'd come <laughs> in with a new haircut, and she'd ask me if I like it. And the first thing I thought would be, 
can you go back and get your old hair? And and how much how much was that haircut? You know, that, that's what I'm thinking. You know, like how much did I just pay for that? And and uh, of course, if I told her the truth, it'd be like trench warfare in the bedroom for the next three weeks. So you know, the truth is not practical. It's not helpful at the moment. And and it would hurt her feelings. Is this your ex-wife by any chance? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um. <laughs> Because I have to say, look, if somebody's had a really shit haircut, you've got to be honest, but tactfully honest. That, that, that you know, it, I think it's this perception that we can't, you know, we can't, we have to, we have to uh, not tell the truth. I won't say lie, but, you know, not tell the truth in order to, in order to spare somebody, spare their feelings. But actually people know. You know, it leaks out of us. It'll leak out of us in body language. It'll leak out of us in, you know, our mouth may be saying one thing, but our face is saying something completely different. You know, right, that, right. that's what I really believe. Um, no, I, I, I hear exactly what you're saying. And, and, I, and I do agree with you. And I think about this a lot. Like, what's more important, truth or consequence? Mm-hmm. You know, and we constantly have to decide that. So, for instance, um, this is a kind of a, a dramatic example, but it, I think it. it, it illustrates that my friend's mother was uh, had Alzheimer's. So she mm. lost all her uh, short-term memory. Mm. And her husband was taking care of her, and he died all of a sudden. Oh, my God. So she didn't have the ability to properly grieve because she didn't have memory. Mm. So she would ask, when is Papa coming home? And they'd say, Papa died. And she'd be like, he's dead. Blah! And start crying. And five minutes later, she'd ask again because she didn't yeah, remember. She didn't remember. And yeah. so they went to a like um, a support group and they learned there was such a thing called the therapeutic lie, which is oh, wow. just tell, just say Papa went to the grocery store and he'll be back in 10 minutes. Okay. Yeah. And, and it's like, oh, okay, he'll be back. And so, okay, now I understand most rational functional people aren't on the level of someone who has Alzheimer's and no short-term memory. But that's certainly an example where telling the truth is just cruel. There's no practical. Mm. There's no uh, practical benefit. Yeah. There's no practical benefit for it. And, uh, and then there's times where, you know, the truth is absolutely what's necessary. Mm. And so there really is a yin yang. And to me, it's like surfing, you know, you have to, in order to properly surf, you have to have the, the union of opposites of being submissive to the wave, right? Because the Mm -hmm. wave is so much bigger and so much stronger and more powerful than you. It's the force. So you have Mm -hmm. to let it be in charge, but Mm -hmm. also you have to be in charge of your own body at the same time Mm -hmm. and make a million little adjustments. So you need to be in control in order to be submissive to Mm -hmm. the wave. And Mm -hmm. if you just do one or the other, you're going to fall. Yeah. So lying and telling the truth, I think is that kind of combination. Yeah, I think that thing when you're talking about on the surf, you know, you, you you kind of have to let go. Actually, you you mm-hmm. have to let go of wanting to control something that is bigger than you, and yes. and because you can control you, but yeah. you can't control. And I think that this is an incredible lesson for everybody in in any phase of life of wanting. Uh, of needing to understand that that you can't control things and you have to let go of those things in order to function because there's just so much to carry if you're carrying the weight of trying to control everything you know i think it's a really interesting metaphor um i was just thinking also you know when we were talking about that um when you were on your travels with um charlie taking photos did you did you have a rough plan, a rough idea? Did you, you know, when you went to places, was it just, okay, we're going to, we're going to improvise here and we're going to, we're going to, whoever we see who looks interesting or we'll go to these people or those people. Cause there was a story with an anthropologist that you were telling me. Yeah. So um, just like the lying and telling the truth and the kind of surfing yin yang thing we were just talking about it was very similar to that because we we had to go with very clear intentions and very kind of competent uh focus Mm. but then we also had to be completely open to the unknown so for Mm. instance 
we decided we had, we picked the trips that we went to based on weather patterns, right? It wasn't going to be helpful for us to go to Vietnam during monsoon season. Mm-hmm. So we we had to, and then we had to make sure we had the right amount of money, the visas, the right amount of balloons, the right amount of film, because we shot this in the nineties, right? So it was all shot on film, all the gear that we needed. We needed to know how to exchange money and how to get from one place to another without, you know, getting our stuff stolen or getting ripped off. So all that was super analytical focus. But then once we were there, we had to just walk around randomly and be open to whatever happened, whoever we met. The the, the picture, for instance, that you spoke of earlier, which is on the cover of the book of the two Turkana people in northern Kenya. Um that was is you know one of our most iconic photos and it's the cover of the book but um three minutes before those hats were made i didn't know those people existed i just Mm. randomly ran into them and Mm. made well maybe five minutes took me five minutes to make both those hats and um charlie took the pictures and we were just open to it and then we got back in the truck and drove off literally we were driving we had gotten picked up hitchhiking in Northern Kenya. And we were just driving this road. Charlie was in the back of the truck and the guy told him to lie down flat on the truck because we were driving through this area where there's a tribal war and there were like mm-hmm. snipers uh, who were just like taking shots at people. So Charlie was like lying in the back of the truck. I'm in the front with the driver. And I just kept seeing these amazing people on the side of the road. So finally I was like, stop, stop. <laughs> and And he pulled over and I, went out and I met those the two people. And so, you know, it, it's really a matter of being focused, but also being open to mm. the unknown yeah. and not yeah. being so open that you lose your focus, but not being so focused that you're not able to learn and experience something that was completely un, uh, unimaginable. Mm. Mm. It's incredible. There's some, I mean, like I say, these photos, You, you the, one of the stories that you told me was um, you said that there, and I can't remember where it was, but there was an anthropologist who oh, was yes. this the first yeah. time round. Yes, this was, yeah. uh, this was in northern Vietnam in, in an area called Sapa, S-A-P-A, mm-hmm. which is like kind of like a rainforest type of area. It's it's not what you usually think of Vietnam. And in fact, most of the people there are Hmong tribe. So they're like kind of mountain indigenous people. Mm. And um, we had we went up there and we had a really amazing experience with them. Like it was profound. And 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 in what way? In what way? We were just walking in the bamboo forest. Yeah. And we were just walking just looking for anybody. And we met the, we saw this little girl chopping bamboo. She was like maybe nine and we went up and made her a hat. And then all of a sudden we saw um, her mom and another mom and all these other kids were there and we made them all hats. So we all of a sudden had this kind of improvised balloon party in the bamboo jungle. Mm. And then they said, come to our home. So we walked with them to their home and we found two men there. And this is like middle of nowhere, literally. I mean, we have we don't speak the language. There's no this is before, you know, GPS. So we don't Mm. even know where we are, really. And it turns out that the two men uh, are in an opium den. They're smoking opium from opium poppies that they grew themselves in their backyard. (laughs) And so um, they offered us some. And of course, I was like, (laughs) why uh, not? I've never done I've never done heroin. I've never like shot anything in my veins i mean it seems like poisonous and insane but this is about as clean and organic yeah as you're ever gonna get yeah when in so, when in northern vietnam yeah do it yeah, when in Rome. exactly yeah. <laughs> oh my god it, and it was really a beautiful experience i have to say it was it was it was profound and the next day we we're like we got to get out of here but um <laughs> but or, or we're gonna go back go back find that family in the in the village um I mean, find that family in the in the in the bamboo forest. So anyway, uh, we wound up meeting a later that night. We met a um, a anthropologist, a British anthropologist, mm-hmm. who we were eating in a restaurant, just Charlie and I. And he walks in and sees us and comes straight to us and he said, "I've heard about you two, and I want you to know that I've been living here for six months trying to uh, learn about this culture and." 
you two have gotten more in this culture in one afternoon than I have in six months just because you have these balloons. And, yes. and, yeah, and, and it's because the, the, what, what happens with the balloons is that um, it, it's, it's kind of a social lubricant. It helps you become instantly friends with people because it's spontaneous, it's joyful, and it creates trust. You, if you, you can't, if you don't, you can't laugh with someone if you don't trust them. Mm. Right. Mm. So it, it creates this instant bond of trust. And like I said, there's nothing threatening about balloons. It's not like, yeah. We're going to be able to like rob people with these yeah. balloon sculptures. So I think I think you did created... you did also sorry to interrupt you, but you did also say laughter sounds the same in every language, you know, yes. and it does. It really yeah. does. And isn't it interesting that that those people, their perception of you was not obviously the same as the perception of this this guy who's obviously an anthropologist here. What you know. Perhaps they don't know what he has to, they don't know what he wants, but you guys are coming and you're giving, yeah. you know, you, you've got something to give. And so, and, and to share and that sharing is just so incredible. And it's a real, it's a really massive lesson, I think for everybody and in life itself, you know, be, just be open, you know, as you were saying, be open and be open to, to whatever comes along, but be open and willing to share, you know, because people's because their perception of you was like, oh wow, you know, obviously people that they've never seen before, and probably that don't come visiting that often to that particular right. area. You know, well, let me tell you another story that happened in Vietnam that was particularly mind blowing too. We were just walking randomly. I don't even remember the, this town, but we stumbled upon a family, and there was maybe. I would say 12 kids. They're all cousins. And I made them all hats. Mm. And it's fun. And I noticed in the corner, there's an old man squatting, smoking, watching the whole thing. Right. He was like maybe late mm. 60s, early 70s. And he was a grandfather of all these kids. And so they pointed at him and said, make him a hat, make him a hat. And I went, mm. I made him a hat. And, uh, and so everything was cool. And then his son, this old man's son comes to me. And explains to me that his father was um, a high-ranking officer in the North Vietnamese Army and fought against the Americans. Wow. And that he wants to um, invite us into his home. So Charlie and I go into his home, uh, into this little kind of like cement block of a living room. And it's this, uh, this old Vietnamese man and his wife. And they have a vase full of kind of homemade rice wine, kind of like their moonshine what? and with these long straws. <laughs> and we're all sitting there sucking, drinking, you know, um, this the rice this wine, rice wine yeah. with these long straws. And then they wanted to sing us some of their songs, some of their like kind of traditional Vietnamese folk songs from their childhood acapella. They just started singing to Charlie and I, and this was their way of saying, thank you for us coming and creating joy for their entire family. And it was particularly amazing because I have close friends who were Vietnam vets. So I grew up listening to a lot of stories about what mm. it was like to fight mm. in Vietnam. Mm. And here we are around that same age, right? We're in our twenties mm. and um, you know, we're blowing up balloons and shooting photos as opposed to blowing up and shooting other things, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. it really was an example to me of uh, like, it would, this would be something that would be unimaginable in 1973. And mm. it really is possible for cultures, people and cultures to heal given enough time and given like proper, you know, incentives and mm. a, a lot of variables, you know, people's safety and economic situation is key, but it really was this like beautiful healing moment because we were his enemies. Mm. And now we're literally someone he wants to share something from his childhood with. It was, it was, it was mind boggling. That is mind boggling and it's massive. And it's also, again, the power of just coming in and being open and sharing and being transparent. And so, so his perception again of Americans is, has been altered by 
you know, you guys coming in and, and just being open, I suppose. Being um, open and coming with about $5 worth of balloons. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, it wasn't even, yeah. it, was, it probably wasn't even more than $5. It was a very small amount of money to make, to have balloons, to make hats for 15 people. And, and it created this whole. It, it uh, just created something that was massive. Yeah. 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 Oh my God. It's incredible. So listeners out there, start blowing, <laughs> stop blowing balloons. But, um, it's amazing. Well, I, I, so, you know, I would say that but, I, I would. That's a, a good point because I would say that if you learn how to make a simple balloon flower, mm, right, something mm. super simple, it's a very powerful skill, right? Because you're able to create joy, and that's really important. If you have some sort of anxiety or depression yourself, mm, you can mm. really easily get looped into negative thoughts, you know, mm. and just kind of ruminate and cycle on those. And if you learn how to make a balloon flower and you make someone a balloon flower, that joy that you created for them will bounce off of them back to you. Yeah, and, completely. And what it does is it creates like a sharp break in your ruminating. It just mm. help, It allows you to kind of hit the reset button very mm. subtly. Mm. Uh, mm. So it doesn't solve all your problems. It's going to not make you not a depressed person. It's just going to keep you from spiraling. And mm. it's just a good thing to do. So mm. now, I, so I'm a big fan of the, there's a, there, you can learn how to make a balloon flower with very simple five inch round balloons, not even the skinny balloons, mm. but like mm. really just small five inch round balloons. And it's, if you can make a grilled cheese sandwich with, if you can operate a, a toaster and a knife, you can learn how to make this flower. <laughs> the skinny balloons are harder. They take more yeah. time, but the, the round balloons are, the flower is good. But, um, but also it doesn't have to be balloons. It, it, it can be anything that you're particularly good at that lights you up that you want to share with someone. Well, I was going to say, look, you know, when I do kind of really simple things with puppetry, you know, you lift up a piece of paper and you kind of like move it in a way. People are captivated because they look at something and you've transformed one thing into something else. And it's that transformation before their eyes that is just you with your hands. There's no CGI involved, you know, people. People yeah. and 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 with puppetry, it's like people you breathe life into something. You're making something inanimate animate. And that person who is the observer has that object has infinite potentiality. And the observer can can, you know, transmute whatever they want into it. You know, they they can they can transfer rather whatever they want onto that and have yeah. whatever the connection that that they want onto that particular object and i think that the th puppets have it i think if if you can do magic you know magic tricks have the same kind of effect in terms of taking people away from themselves for that moment and bringing joy but definitely you know your your amazing balloon art and so i was going to say also what's so what's to finish, what's next? What are you doing? What's your what's your next thing? Are you passing on the mantle of? of yeah, I actually am. Yeah, well, so we published our book, The Inflatable Planet. So that's out now. That just came out uh, maybe two weeks ago. So yeah. that's really exciting, and I, I it has, um, it has a lot of happy photos, but also some not so happy photos. Mm. I think it, it was a, it's a real document of what we experience and and the stories when we set out mm. to do this we made a point of it not being a d and charlie's crazy adventures it's really about the people we met and that's what yeah. the book is about um but i am starting to get to the point where like i mentioned i just turned 50 and i'm feeling like an athlete who's transitioning into being a coach or, mm. a, or a dancer who's transitioning into being a, a choreographer um mm. i find that i i want to uh, so I started a group called the Balloon Art Brigade. It's mm. a nonprofit where um, high school and college kids learn how to twist balloons and then volunteer at, um, you know, a nursing home, a homeless shelter, oh. or whatever. And so it's, it's a community service club, but it's also you, you learn how to make stuff. So that's really where I'm kind of focusing now. <laughs> Sorry. And, and uh, I'm probably going to, I'm thinking of transitioning into being a teacher. I started teaching about yeah. 10 years ago. So I kind of was balancing my balloon career and being a teacher at mm. the same time. And I think I might just uh, um, 
transition into being a teacher just yeah. because I, you know, I, for a long time, I'm, I'm super grateful for what I got from balloons, but I'm also a big believer in quitting while you're ahead, yeah. you know, yeah. not waiting until, um, you are just like a kind of shadow of your former self, mm. Mm. you know, mm. I think it's, I think it's good to leave the party while it's still fun. Well, while you still got some blow inside you. Right. Well, you still, <laughs> well, still got right. the air, the air inside. Oh, I shouldn't say it. it's uh, whilst whilst the lips are still whilst the lips are still strong. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and, and while I, I just think that it's important to be able to wrap things up gracefully. And yeah. I wish there was a word in English that expressed that feeling because without words, we don't we kind of forget that things exist words anchor concepts into mm. our brain mm. and there, there i don't know is there a word that says quitting while you're ahead i think is gonna well, make you happier that well there's there's one word denouement which is oh. which is which is french for sort of tying up it and you use it kind of in in theater in the story the, the denouement is tying up the ends you know, it's kind of it's kind of putting everything together. It's kind of drawing everything together before the before the end. You know, mm. so all the all it's in the final act. You know, um, so maybe I don't know, maybe that word, but um, yeah, I like that word. I have to say, I just I'm so happy to have met you. Um, all those years ago wasn't that long ago, but it but yeah, I'm so happy mm. to have met you. Um purely by chance and as I say that's another story and um so so happy that you've come onto the podcast the perception podcast just to to talk about you and your life and the effect of what you do the incredible thing that you do the effect that it has had on people and their and their perception of who they are the perception of who of people who who view them you know, because that's a really massive thing. We, re, I think, we really measure ourselves with how people view us. And yeah. this, I heard, I heard somebody say once, or no, I, I read this in a book. I read a book about, uh, I think the book was called Selfie, and it's about mm. um, how the sense of individualism uh, developed in the West. And the mm. author said, "It's not who I am." And it's not that I'm not who you think I am. I am literally who I think you think I am. So I'm oh, reading yeah. your perception of me and that yeah. informs my definition of myself. Of myself. Yeah, completely, yeah. completely. And, and so that's a, a and I'll tell you just to kind of tie this up. Like I had mentioned, I was a self-hating balloon guy mm. and that actually changed one day when I went to volunteer at a nursing home. Mm. And I was just going from room to room and making balloons for, you know, kind of old folks who were isolated and mm -hmm. just making them, giving them a little tension and a little, hopefully a little dose of happiness. And as I was leaving, one of the nurses said to me, you know, for a lot of these people, you just gave them surprise and delight for the last time in their life. And wow. I had never thought about that. I, yeah. I was so busy being a self-hating balloon guy that I never realized, I, I didn't give myself the ability to feel good about it. And when she said that, that shifted my perspective about what I do and even who I am. It was one sentence that like changed my life. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's amazing. It's amazing that exactly what she said, you had for the last time, probably in those people's lives, You've brought them joy. Yeah. That's incredible. It's it's so it's so powerful. This I think this is one of the things I, uh, as I've said in other episodes to other guests is that the power of we all have creativity in us whatever whatever form that takes whatever form that takes and it's so powerful in connecting us with other people and and uh bringing to the surface things that we never knew that were inside of us. And I have to say, yeah, you're just amazing. Thank you. Thank you, Addy. Thank you so mm. much for coming and speaking and just telling 
us about the incredible stories. Like I could talk to you forever, you know, be like five hours later, the yeah. longest podcast in the universe, the yeah. history of the universe. But um, hopefully you can come back and we yeah, can have we'll another. Yeah, we'll do it again. That'd be fun. Yeah, we can have another conversation because it's been so entertaining. The time has gone really quickly. And um, if anybody who is listening, my wonderful listeners, thank you for listening. And if anybody would like to know more about Adi Somek, there will be links in um, the show notes that um, uh, will let you know where you can buy Addy's books. Um, we'll have images, links to uh, your Instagram. Oh, what are, so can you just actually, Addy, can you just please go through the links to your socials, your Instagram and your. Well, my Instagram is inflatable planet at yeah. inflatable planet. And um and my website is inflatableplanet.com. That's yeah. the balloon project around the world. And as far as the the corporate stuff I do, uh, like the balloon things I do at events, that's newballoonart.com. New Brilliant. balloon art. And then also uh, you can go on YouTube and just search The Unpoppables and you can see the shows there. Okay, fantastic. Well, we will have all the um, all the links to everything uh, and images um, to look at uh, in the show notes. And I just want to say, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Thanks for speaking to me. It's been really fascinating and really uplifting just to have a look. This is this is what I was saying about, you know, people learning through stories and also shifting, perhaps shifting their perception, seeing life through yeah. a different lens, basically. Which is almost probably the most important thing possible is constantly yeah. being able to look at things new and understand and upgrade your software. And yeah. that only happens through um, how you perceive things. So I, I really yeah. appreciate what you're doing here. With yeah. This yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Mwah! Thank you so much. And thank you everybody for listening and like, follow, subscribe, on whichever platform that you listen to this on um share let me know what you think let me know what you'd like more of and i really look forward to our next episode and thank you Addy, and i will see you all again soon bye <laughs>